0: we will talk about today and tonight, the preparation and the invasion of your Son into this world, and we sing these songs as we celebrate, quite frankly, a war, and you are taking back what is rightfully yours. And we thank you for calling us into your army as we celebrate our leader arriving on the scene. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts, open our minds, grant us understanding. This morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you... Take a seat. If you... um, came to Christ between, at a, at a young age, before, let's say, 20 years old. You Show know, your hands, raise your hands. Okay, so just keep them raised, and then look around. You I means turn your heads, look around, okay? Keep your hands raised. You see the majority of people here? Okay. I'm going to talk about this morning what we call a young faith, um, because we're going to talk about the faith of, a, of a, just a common teenager, believe it or not who becomes the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I had you raise your hand because of the statistic that I'm sure you're familiar with within the circle of the church. It's the answer to the question, at what age do Americans, and I would argue that most people, become Christian? And according to a variety of surveys, 83% make their initial commitment to Jesus as children or early youth. That's the age range is between 4 to 14 years old. The probability of a person becoming a Christ follower decreases with age. Uh, surveys done by the Barner Research Group, uh, they confirmed this probability that American children aged 5 to 13 have a 32% probability of accepting Christ. If you are a youth or a teen aged 14 to 18, that number drops down to 14%. If you're an unbelieving adult, ages 19 and over, you just have a 6% probability of becoming a Christian. Obviously, this illustrates the importance of influencing young people, children particularly, to consider making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. It has been my experience that these percentages, as a pastor, I've noticed that they have held true. In my years of ministry, it is usually a crisis situation a death in the family, um, a painful divorce, or some sort of financial crisis, crisis uh, that God uses to bring an adult to uh, belief in his son. But that is not always the case. God can work through anybody at any age to bring about his will. Of course, last Sunday we took a deeper dive into an elderly priest named Zacharias, and the good news delivered to him By the angel Gabriel, who announced the birth of his first and only child, John the Baptist. In this instance, God was working through an elderly couple. They were probably in their 70s, and the wife was barren. If you look throughout Luke, after this elderly couple, um, or after the birth of Jesus, we find that the righteous and devout Simeon, remember him? He was promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before seeing the Lord's Christ. And while Jesus was presented at the temple, Simeon held the baby Jesus in his arms. God kept his promise to this undoubtedly older man. And at the temple, there was also another elderly person there, an 84-year-old widow by the name of Anna, a prophetess, she saw the child and praised God and spoke of redemption uh, of Jerusalem to everybody. So what we're seeing here in the first couple chapters of Luke is an age range, from a teenager all the way up to an 84-year-old widow. And it underscores that God will work through anyone at any age who is available to be used by him. And as I mentioned last week, we looked at the faithlessness of the elderly priest Zacharias. This morning, we're going to take a brief look at the other end of the age spectrum, a teenager and her faith-filled response to news that she would miraculously conceive by the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, who will rule rule from the throne of David over his kingdom forever. Now, let me remind you that what we're about to read, it's called the Incarnation. Uh, It was planned before creation. Did you know that? For if we were elected in eternity past to be holy and blameless before him, then the plan was for the Son of God to make us holy and blameless before him. Someone had to do it, and he had to become a man and die for our sins, and that was all determined in eternity past. Additionally, the incarnation was predicted from the beginning of human history. Remember Genesis 3.15? At the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of man. The hope of the incarnation, it was kept alive for thousands of years in the hearts of God's faithful people. And now in the words that we read as biblical history, it's about to be realized. And it's a message that I call that requires faith. So turn your Bibles, okay, to Luke, I I put this up here, right? Yeah, Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, My son Mark has the Bible memorized because he doesn't have his phone open or a Bible in his hand. So would you like him to read it for you? and can stand up. Okay. <laughs> he was out late last night. Here we go. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Okay, the first thing I want you to know is that the term or the time, the sixth month, that doesn't mean, like for us, it would be June. It's not referring to that. It's a reference back to the promised conception of John the Baptist from his elderly parents. Zacharias and Elizabeth. You may remember, Elizabeth had been in seclusion, but by the sixth month, she was now starting to show, and this would be evidence to the community of faith that Zacharias' encounter with the angel was true, because nobody would have believed such an elderly couple could conceive at such an advanced age. And Luke now introduces the Virgin Mary, who was engaged to Joseph, a descendant of David, Joseph's lineage is mentioned here because it is important due to God's promise to who? Well, if you came Wednesday nights study the life of David, this is a reference to King David. In 2 Samuel 7:12 through 13, it says this, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, this is God speaking to David, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is why David was mentioned. Now, Gabriel's greeting is very concise, and it's also massively understated. I mean, it's nothing more than your average greeting, which is surprising considering Gabriel is who? He's an archangel who stands in the presence of God and says, Mary is favored. Okay? Why is Mary favored? Well, she is favored because she received the grace of God in the form of his presence. She does not give grace, she receives grace. She would carry the Son of God in her womb. See, she was graced because his presence was with her. And she needed grace because she knows what we know about ourselves. She's a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And I think that this greeting confuses Mary for two reasons. One is she knows that she's talking to an angel, okay? And it's just such a a, a concise, understated greeting. And she doesn't understand why God would pour out his grace in his presence because she is a sinner. And knowing this, look at Gabriel's response, verse 30. The angel said to her, "Do, "'Do not be afraid, Mary,' For you have found favor with God. There, again, is another mention of grace. And Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe these words, of course, God knew, Mary needed to know, and Gabriel knew, they are necessary. She didn't need to fear. No judgment was coming from him. She also need not fear, even though the message she is about to hear is going to shake her to her core. Because I believe the Lord wanted to remind her once again of his grace because of the sheer magnitude of the message she's about to receive. I mean, if Mary was shocked at his initial statement, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you, Imagine her reaction when the angel said to her, Who? You're going to conceive in your womb. I mean, I can only imagine that upon hearing this news, she is probably thinking this will happen after she legally marries Joseph. And together they conceive a son because she was a virgin. No other man was was involved. And never would the thought have entered her mind that she was going to have a child in her womb, without a man involved. I mean, the thought of a pregnant virgin was inconceivable, but not to God, because Isaiah prophesied, a virgin shall conceive. Remember this? And what? Bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah seven fourteen. Mary is about to learn that nothing is impossible for God. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now last week we studied Gabriel's announcement to Zacharias. He responded in what? Unbelief. Remember this? Luke one eighteen, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this is for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Notice how he's a, he's a wise husband, too. He calls himself old. His wife is just advanced in years. Imagine if it was reversed. I'm advanced in years, but my wife is old. No, he didn't do that. He's been married long enough. All these guys are shaking my head. Yeah, you got that right. Zechariah just wanted to know for certain, and in light of his circumstances, that it, the message from God that Gabriel delivered would come to pass. But his unbelief resulted in a temporary curse. He was unable to speak. Mary's response is quite different. She believes, but simply wants to know how this will come about. I mean, after all, a pregnant virgin was inconceivable. This is why Gabriel responds differently to Mary's question than he does to Zechariah's Gabriel's answer to Mary, Mary's question, must have been incomprehensible to her at first. Wouldn't it be incomprehensible to you? You'll become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the key. And because of this, the child will be called holy and be called the Son of God. Now you may or may not know this. This is a little scientific fact for you, but I looked this up again to confirm it. But the blood of a child can come from the Father or the Mother or both. Did you know that? In this instance, the blood of Jesus Christ came from the Father through the Holy Spirit, and we believe it did not mix with Mary's blood. This is why Jesus was without sin and was what? As the text says, a holy child called the Son of God. He was not infected with... Original sin. Wow, pastor, I didn't know that. You're a smart guy. You all look like you're about tired. Is it just so dark outside here? I thought that was kind of cool. I guess you guys all knew that, huh? Okay. But Mary, there's something else that I believe is another act of grace. And you're going to see this grace throughout this, this message. And God is so good to her. Verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth... Has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth, who is Mary's aunt, is six months pregnant. Now, why does Gabriel tell this to Mary? That's the question. Mary would have known that her aunt was barren, even though they were about 75 miles apart, about three or four days' travel. Families were still close. You needed a family to survive back then, and to now find out that her aunt is six months pregnant must have strengthened Mary's faith. I mean, she just heard this message; it's unbelievable to her. Now she hears that her aunt, in her old age, has conceived, and so okay, it's probably possible. Then I could be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. You see, like Abraham and Sarah, who conceived miraculously, now Zacharias and Elizabeth conceived miraculously. And if God enabled these two older couples to conceive in their old age, then surely Mary can conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a gracious act, a gracious word from the Lord through his messenger, Gabriel. And I think this news simply reinforces what Gabriel said next and what Mary needed to be reminded of at this time. Nothing is impossible with God. God. God created the world in six days. He parted the Red Sea so two million people could walk across on dry ground. God so protected three men in a fiery furnace that when they came out, even their clothes didn't smell like smoke. And God can certainly impregnate a woman miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And with that encouragement, this common teenager responds with an incredible faith, with incredible humility, and with incredible surrender. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. Now this is probably a verse that, if all the verses in in the chapter 1, this would be the one that you would want to meditate on and memorize. Because when you slow down and start to think about all that's taking place here, for this teenager to respond like this, that's something that we all need to be reminded of. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Do you know what a bond slave is? It's a slave by choice. And that is what you are. If you're a Christian, you are a slave by choice. Because really what Mary's saying here is this, in my own words, I choose to believe what you are saying to me Because your words come from God, and I am his slave, therefore God can do whatever he wants with me. And that is a different way of thinking, a different way of living life. That is, I mean, what an incredible faith-filled, utterly humble, absolutely surrendered response. And you know what this tells me about Mary? She was not full of self. God uses people that are absolutely surrendered to Him because when you empty your life of self, God is able to pour Himself in you. I think while Mary was pondering everything Gabriel said to her, she was also contemplating what it would cost her. So let's talk about what I call the cost of faith. Okay? Now, you're Mary. You've been given this message. It's all overwhelming. Okay? Okay? And the text says that she, you know, is overwhelmed, and, and, and she surrenders, and then she immediately hurries up to go see Elizabeth. That's about a three- or four-day journey. And it was probably during that time that she was impregnated, we think. But she, there are some things that she had to take care of. It would have been rattling around in her brain. First of all, Mary had to tell Joseph She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. How do you think that conversation went? Well, Matthew tells us Joseph's response in verses uh, eight, chapter 1 of 18 and 19, that the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, Plan to send her way secretly. He didn't believe her, is what all that means. Would you? How could she prove it to him? She couldn't. But do you know who knew that she couldn't prove it to him? God did. So God took care of it. Verses 20 and 21. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's just one cost. That's just an awkward conversation, right? God took care of that one because God is good. But there is another cost. Even though she did not violate the betrothal covenant, you know what that means? With their betrothed, you know what that was? It's sort of like a long engagement period, but it was legally binding. She had a year to prove herself to be faithful to remain a virgin. He had a year, basically, to get a job, raise enough money, pay the dowry, and build a house. Usually attached it to the house of of his family. So that when they were married... He had a job in a home and she was faithful and they could just start right off. Okay? It was a legally binding agreement, a betrothal covenant. But she who was faithful and didn't violate the betrothal covenant, she'd be viewed as if she did violate it. This meant in the eyes of everybody except Elizabeth and eventually Joseph, she would have committed adultery. Sexual morality. And the penalty under the law for committing adultery was to be stoned to death. And if they didn't enforce the law and stone her, she would always carry the stigma of being an adulterer or a sexually immoral person. And guess what? Her son, Jesus, would be viewed as what? A bastard, an illegitimate son. And I tend to believe that those thoughts, these thoughts, were racing through her mind, and yet she still responded in faith, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. See, that's the cost of walking by faith. God knew what this would cost Mary, so he graciously gave her more confirmation. And let's talk about that. When you walk by faith, there's a confirmation of faith. Verse 39, now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, I can put this up here, yeah, to a city of Judah. This was about 75 miles, a three or four day trip. We don't know the city, but this is where Zacharias and Elizabeth were living, and she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord." Now, upon receiving the news that she would be the mother of the Son of God by conception of the Holy Spirit, Mary needs to process this. And it was said to her, who could she talk to? Surely her husband would not understand. The only person in the world who could possibly believe her was who? Her aunt Elizabeth, who had just experienced her own miracle— So off to visit her uncle and aunt. And here I think Luke introduces a a contrast. Because remember, Zacharias did not respond in faith. Remember that? He responded in unbelief. He was temporary, cursed by being able to speak. But Mary responded in faith. And Elizabeth's first words to her were, look at it, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Did you catch that? For six months, Elizabeth could only communicate with her husband by way of writing because of his unbelief. She didn't believe what was said to her would be fulfilled. She saw that Mary did. So she immediately points that out. I think this was surely in her mind when she spoke those words. And I think that those words were beyond encouragement to Mary, I believe they were part of an ongoing confirmation. While she was there, I believe Mary experienced three forms of confirmation. The first was Elizabeth's response to Mary's greeting. Now here's what you need to understand. A greeting in the ancient Near East was not, hi, how are you? okay? What was involved in a greeting was a lengthy dialogue. There was an embrace, a physical expression of affection, and they would talk about how life is with both of them, and this could be hours of conversation. And surely Elizabeth must have disclosed to Mary how she'd become pregnant, that the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zacharias while she was in the holy place, while he was in the holy place, offering the altar of incense, and he came out with this incredible message that they were going to have a child, that child would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Surely Mary would have told her story, which paralleled Elizabeth's, and how an angel had come to her in her home in Nazareth and had told her that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God and that this was going to occur without a man. The Holy Spirit was going to create that child apart from normal human conception. And I think it would be crystal clear that everything Mary heard sounded just like what Zacharias and Elizabeth heard. And since that which was promised to Elizabeth had come to pass that which was promised to Mary would also come to pass. So Mary is receiving this constant confirmation of what this incredible message that she had received. So the greeting, I believe, becomes a personal confirmation. They also believe that uh, the baby, John the Baptist, leaping in Elizabeth's womb upon hearing the greeting was another source of confirmation. This was John the Baptist. You write this down, his first Prophecy. A silent prophecy, because he too rejoiced in this news. The third confirmation, if you think about it, would have been Mary's body, because she was there for three months. She stayed with Elizabeth all that time, and during that time, she would stop menstruating, right? Her monthly periods would stop because she was pregnant. Another sign, she was miraculously pregnant because she had been with no man. during this time, I believe Mary's faith grew stronger. What happened to her is common if you walk by faith. It happened to Abraham. He grew strong in faith. In Romans 4, 18 to 21, did I put that up there or not? No. Just listen to this. It says, in hope against hope, Abraham believed so he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. You remember that story? Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. You see, when you you grow stronger in your faith, in the promise of God, he is glorified. God knew Mary would need these three months of additional confirmation to strengthen her faith. She would rely upon that strength to have the awkward conversation with Joseph. She would rely upon that strength to endure the shame of being looked upon as an adulterer. She would rely upon that strength as she watched her son suffer as the Messiah on the cross. A relationship with God is a constant walk of growing stronger in faith. Abraham grew so strong in faith that years after receiving the promised son, the heir, Isaac, the heir through which all nations will be blessed, he was willing to sacrifice Isaac as an offering to God at the Lord's command. By sacrificing his only son, the promise of God would not be fulfilled then. How did Abraham arrive at such a place of obedience? Well, it's simple. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, and as that... The offering of his son as a sacrifice, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Here's what he did. He considered this is what this is a man strong in faith, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. In other words, he believed if he killed Isaac, the promised heir, what would God do? Raise him from the dead. That, my friends, is great faith. And at age 75, Abraham didn't have that faith. I think Isaac was like 13 years old this time, so it had been 38 years of walking in faith and receiving that promise, but a continual walk in faith. Abraham believed God could raise Isaac from the dead. This Christmas season we have discovered the faith that God requires this time of year. That was really the whole point of it. Yeah, it's hope, and it's peace, it's all that, but I wanted to give you something practical. We must continue to walk by faith. It's not the faith that Zacharias, it's not his faith, it's the faith of Mary. It's a belief that God invaded his creation through the birth of his son to be the savior of the world. And this is what we believe. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we pray. So let's walk by faith. Amen? Okay. We're going to close with a song. We'll get get out of here a little early today. So would you stand with me? Go home. Make me Christmas cookies. Bring them tonight five o'clock. And I'll see you here, if you can make it at five o'clock. Let's pray. Lord, as we close this last song, thank you for this gentle reminder that, first of all, you can use anybody from a a 13-year-old teenager, if that was indeed the age of Mary, to an 84-year-old widow. Nothing is impossible for you. Remind us of that this season as we walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.